Alex. Hi everyone, if you need a Bible, just raise your hands and uh, you'll get given one. Uh, In the meantime, we're reading from Romans chapter 14, verses 1 to 23. Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarrelling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. 
Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. When I was at uh, uni way back, uh, there was a church that met on campus. It was great, right in the middle of campus. And I used to go along to that each Sunday night. There was also a pub that was on campus nearby, the Tab, it used to be called. And one night after church, as I was walking past the Tab, a bit after church had finished, I'd seen that someone had gone from church to the Tab, someone who'd been up the front of church. And you know what I thought to myself? Uh, so that person's not a real Christian then. They're just pretending. I was just 17 years old and I'd come from a fairly sheltered Christian home and I'd never really been in a church that taught the Bible well. But still, what a terrible thing for me to think. In that instance, I judged them. In that, in that one instant, I judged them and I wrote them off completely. And what do you think of my 17-year-old self? It's easy to look at someone so narrow-minded as I was back then and, and to think of them and, or, and to treat them with contempt. It's easy to kind of roll your eyes and think, what an uptight wowzer. One of my kids, they came home from school the other day and they, they said to me that there was a new kid in their class who was saying that if you read Harry Potter, you can't be a Christian. Now, this kid sounds like quite a judgy person. There was, there was a few other things like this. And it's super easy to respond to people like that with pure contempt. In fact, when my son told me that they'd said that, I burst out laughing. But these ways of thinking about each other, judging each other or showing contempt for each other, neither of those two ways is what God has in mind for how we're to treat each other. Now, as Dave said before, we're doing a six-week series looking at six different ways, different one-anothers, in the Bible, six different ways that God wants us to treat each other. And today we're looking at this one, accept one another. Now at the end, a bit further on in, in Romans, which we didn't quite get to when Andrew read, at the end of a long discussion in Romans 15 verse 7, Paul caps it off by saying, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to praise, bring praise to God. And so this is our first point today, we're to accept those who Jesus accepts. We're to accept anyone Jesus accepts. Now, maybe actually this sounds quite easy to us. Maybe it sounds like this should come naturally to us. You know, we live in a multicultural, open-minded kind of society. We're a culture that values the idea of tolerance. And in fact, the only thing that we're uh, we don't tolerate is intolerance as a society. A couple of weeks ago when I was on holidays, I was in Bellingen in New South Wales and it's a beautiful town that kind of embodies this ideal in Australian culture. Everywhere you go, you, you read signs that say Bellingen is an accepting community. And there are hippies and vegans and people in strange clothes. It, it's, it's a fun place to be. But if we think that we can understand what accepting one another means by doing what comes naturally to us 
from being Australian, then we're missing something. We're not going deep enough. Because Paul writes, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. Our model for accepting one another is is not Australian culture. Our model is Christ himself. So how did Christ accept us? Well, to be able to answer that, we have to understand something profound about God and something basic about ourselves. And that is that God is completely holy. And we are not at all holy. What I'm talking about here runs against the way that we naturally think. We don't really understand holiness. Even Christians, we don't properly understand God's holiness. And not just because we don't know our Bibles as good as we should, but also because we're incapable of grasping just how different God is to us, just how far above and separate and pure and unapproachable he is. God is holy and we are not. And this means that in and of ourselves, we are completely unacceptable to God. In the 8th century BC, the prophet Isaiah experienced something of God's holiness. He writes in Isaiah chapter 6 about this experience, this vision. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In Isaiah's vision, the whole temple can't even contain God's robe, let alone God himself. And he writes in verse 2, Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. These creatures, they're, they're made to be in the presence of God, and yet even they cannot bear to look upon God. They cover their eyes with their wings. And listen to what they're constantly saying to each other in verse 3. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. There's no greater way that you can say someone is holy than to repeat it three times. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. God is holy, completely holy. He's so far above us that we can't even get our heads around it. He's so pure and so right that in his presence, we see ourselves for who we truly are, impure, not right. Look at how Isaiah reacts being in God's presence in verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Confronted with God's holiness, Isaiah realizes what we too would realize confronted with God's holiness. We are completely unacceptable to God. The whole Old Testament is about this. The uncomfortable message of the Bible from page one right through to the last page is that God is infinitely more holy than we can ever imagine or dream of. The law of Moses, 
the, the temple, the way it's structured, the sacrifices, all of it is showing us that God is holy and we are not. And yet somehow we still miss it. Almost all of our problems in trusting God and understanding his word, they come from us not grasping his holiness. Almost all of our problems. All the time we're trying to reduce God's holiness. We're trying to lower him to our level and make out as if he's just like us. All the religions of the world miss it. I don't say that lightly, but they do. They may see God as holy, but they miss just how holy he really is. They lower his holiness. So even in Islam, which sounds like it has a holy God, a fearful, unapproachable God, yet even still, he's not holy enough, not by a long shot. Because in Islam, despite our lives being imperfect, despite us being unholy and sinful, He will still accept those who are good enough, those who are close enough. But a truly holy God will never call close enough good enough. And it's not just Islam that lowers God's holiness. There are versions of Christianity that try to do this too. Like when people say, God loves you just as you are. God won't judge you. God's not angry with you. When people say, God will always accept you for you. It's not true. God is holy and we are not. The truth is we are unacceptable to God. Now, why am I laboring this point? Well, it's because we'll never properly accept one another until we understand how it is that God accepts us. We read, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. It wasn't a casual thing or a light thing for Christ to accept us. The way Christ accepted us was by accepting the consequences of our unholiness onto himself. I said God is infinitely more holy than we could ever dream or imagine, but at the same time, God is infinitely more loving and merciful than we will ever be able to fathom. Both are true. The Christian God, the true God, is infinitely holy and infinitely more loving than we can imagine at the same time. God, he's never loving at the expense of his holiness and he's never holy without being loving. The cross is all about God drawing a line under our unholiness. It's all about Christ standing as our representative, both as our representative substitute who dies in our place, but also as our representative king who builds a new humanity. A humanity that is acceptable to God. A humanity made holy, built on Jesus' obedience, built on Jesus' sacrifice, built on perfect justice and perfect love, holiness and mercy coming perfectly together. But here's the thing, that justice and that mercy, it's not found in ourselves. It's found in Him, our representative. We're acceptable to God while ever we're under Him. And that's the point. 
God calls us to accept each other just like he accepts us. Now, when I see my own unholiness, when I see the, the sheer wonder that it is that God would accept me because of Jesus, not because of me. And when I see another, you, someone acceptable to God, not because of who you are, but because of Jesus. It's only then that we're going to truly be able to accept each other. And this is far more than, than showing tolerance. It's not a casual or a light acceptance to accept someone just as Christ accepted us is to see each other as family. When I'm in Bellingen over in New South Wales and I, and I see the sort of unshaven, unshowered hippie, you know, I think to myself from a distance, this is kind of fun. But what I don't think is, this is my brother, I wish you'd come round for Christmas. I don't think this is someone that I really want to do life with. That just doesn't occur to me. And the, the Australian version of acceptance is a bit like this. It, it kind of goes, I'll accept you because you bring diversity to our culture and, and it's interesting. And also because I want, I want you to let me live however I want to live so I won't interfere with you if you won't interfere with me. And so really that kind of acceptance is about not caring what people do with their own lives. Sort of don't care. But the kind of acceptance that we're called to as followers of Jesus is very different. We're called to a deep kind of acceptance of each other where we actually care about each other. Because Jesus cares about us and has united us into a new humanity. This is the foundation that sits under our acceptance of each other. And it has all sorts of different implications. Romans 14, which was read earlier, gives some specific implications of our acceptance of each other. But before we look at those, I want us to look at a couple more broader implications of what this kind of acceptance means for us. So first though, what does this mean for how we consider someone who's not a Christian? Well, it means if someone... For someone, if, if Jesus is not their Lord, then we're not called to accept them as a brother or sister in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't treat them with love or respect. It's the opposite, actually. We accept all people as created in the image of God. That's reason, plenty of reason to love and respect people. But to treat someone who's not a Christian like they are a Christian is to dishonor them, actually. And it's not to love them. You know, this is kind of obvious. I don't want to be accepted as a Hindu or a Muslim or an atheist or a Buddhist. And if someone treats me that way, they're dishonoring me. They're dishonoring what I, what I truly believe. But even more than that, if we're going to love and respect someone who's not a follower of Jesus, then part of that it's not accepting them as a brother or sister. It's actually accepting them as someone who faces God's judgment. Someone who desperately needs to come to know Jesus. And it's unloving to pretend that someone is accepted by God when they're just not. If you've never fully given your life to Jesus as your Lord, then what you need to hear is, is that you've got a serious problem. No matter what you've heard, God really is holy. He is. 
And the only way to be acceptable to him is through Jesus being your representative. There is no other way to be acceptable to God. No other way. Now that's what our friends who don't know Jesus need to hear. And it might be what you need to hear today as well. Where it gets hard is with people who think they're Christians, but actually they're not. You know, a Christian is not someone who calls themselves a Christian. A Christian is someone who has Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. I was reading a story just this week about a guy who started going to church as a teenager and after a few years of going to church, he wanted to become a minister. But eventually someone pointed out to him that he wasn't even a Christian. And that person who pointed that out, who had the guts to do that, did him a favour. And he was writing this article 50 years on. He was still thankful to God that that person had the courage to do that. If someone is actively living against Jesus' lordship, even if they think they're a Christian, if someone refuses to let Jesus be Lord over their whole lives, their sexuality, over the way they use their money, over everything, if someone's refusing to let Jesus be Lord of those things, then it's not loving to pretend it's fine. It's loving to urge them to surrender their lives to Jesus. Just a few verses before Paul says, accept one another, he says this in chapter 13. He says, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So this is important because even more important than our acceptance of each other is the reason that we accept each other. We accept each other because we've clothed ourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if someone hasn't actually done that, even if they think they have, then they need us to gently, urgently encourage them to do it. But if someone has clothed themselves in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus is their Lord and Savior, then who am I to require something more of them than that before I accept them? Do I think that I am a more holy judge than God? If God judges that every single barrier has been overcome in Jesus, who am I to introduce any barrier before I accept someone? Let me give you just an example where, one example, where as a church, I think God has moved us here to accept each other in a way that's actually quite beautiful. Age in our society is a huge barrier, but look around who we have here. And it's not. In our society, young people don't really hang out with older people. Those in their 20s, they don't really hang out with kids or older people, unless it's within family circles. But in God's kindness, those kind of barriers, they're just not as much of an issue here. We've got babies through to people who are in their 80s and everything in between. A few weeks ago, I was mountain biking with a a group that had a 13-year-old and a 40-something-year-old and many people in between. And as I was struggling to keep up, sadly, I was the slowest one there. But I was thinking to myself, wow, this is unique. This is a great demonstration of unity, not just unity in mountain biking, but unity in Christ. In my men's community group that I've been a part of this year, there's an 80-year-old 
And there's people half that age laughing together, sharing together, praying together every week. That's pretty unique. Now, there are, there are many other ways that God has moved us as a church to accept each other. But I want to quickly talk about a couple of subtle dangers that we need to watch out that could derail us. And the first danger is class. Everyone in Australia thinks that we treat each other as equals. But actually, in Australia, don't you reckon class is a pretty big deal? Even bigger than race. If someone's from a different race, different cultural background, but they've got the same education as us, the same kind of income, the same kind of outlook on life, then we'll accept them easily enough. But if someone's from a different class, if I'm blue-collar and you're white-collar, if I'm TAFE-educated and, and you've got a PhD, then we'll find it harder to accept each other. And I think this is a real danger for us here if we're not careful. I'm not going to ask this question because it's actually totally irrelevant in Christ. But if I was to ask who had a, d a university degree here, I reckon we'd have heaps more people represented here than we would in the wider Modbury community. Which means we need to be extra careful to accept each other because of Jesus and not because we're like each other. The second danger is that it'd be easy for us to only have a kind of superficial acceptance of each other. We can think we accept each other, but actually not. If I were to ask you to think back over the last six months, how many people have you had around to your home who are not particularly like you? What does that kind of reveal about how deep your acceptance of people goes? Now, for some of us, we might think back over the last six months and, and there'll be no one we've had in our home. It could mean that we've had an out-of-control kind of six months where we've just been trying to keep our head above water. Or it might mean that our acceptance of each other doesn't run deep enough. It could mean that we don't actually share life together at all. Some of us will look back and in the kind of people that we've had round are people who are more or less just like us. And again, maybe that might mean that our acceptance of each other just doesn't run deep enough. Are we requiring something of each other more than being clothed in Jesus to be acceptable to each other? And does our acceptance of each other run deep enough or is it superficial? Maybe today God is showing you that your acceptance of him needs to run his, your acceptance of his people needs to run deeper than it does. Well, that's acceptance in general. Now we're going to look at the specific situation that Paul's writing about in Romans 14. Romans 14, it's all about accepting one another when we have different opinions to each other. And unfortunately, today we don't have time to really go into the details of Romans 14. Hopefully, sometime soon, we'll get to preach through the book chapter by chapter instead of just looking at this topical series like this. But today, we're still going to have a very quick look over Romans 14. In Romans 14, verse 1, Paul says, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. And as you read across Romans 14 and 15, there are three disputable matters that, that Paul mentions. There's eating meat versus just eating vegetables. There's observing special days, feast days, fasting days, Sabbaths versus not observing them. And there's drinking wine versus not drinking wine. 
Now, these aren't three random things that Paul's just plucked out of the air. They're all connected, actually, with the law of Moses. It seems that there are two groups in the church in Rome. One group is probably made up of mostly Jews with some Gentiles who feel that they should continue to observe the Old Testament law. Not for salvation, they're not observing the law in order to be saved by God, but they're doing it because in their minds it's, it's a more clean, God-pleasing kind of way to live. The meat in Rome, it couldn't be guaranteed that it had been prepared in a kosher way or it might have been offered to idols and the wine was the same. And they felt the need to continue to observe the feast days and the fasting days and that sort of thing. But there's this other group in the church. Probably this group's mostly Gentiles with some Jews in it. And they're thinking, no, the law is fulfilled in Christ. All foods are made clean by Christ. Not only are we we not saved by observing the law, but we're also not obligated to do those things in order to please God. All those things. They pointed to our need to be made holy by Jesus. And he's done that. So now we're free of them. Now, neither group is dishonouring Jesus as Lord in what they're doing. You can eat meat and you can do it because Jesus is Lord. You cannot eat meat and you can do it because Jesus is Lord. The problem is actually how they're treating each other because of their different opinions. One group seems to be judging the other for not observing these things and then the other group seems to be despising the other group for being such sticklers and killjoys. They're looking at these other Christians thinking, you guys are stuck in the past. You're narrow-minded. And it was funny at first, but now it's getting irritating and it's embarrassing. And this is the situation Paul speaks into. And he says in verse 3, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Now today we actually get four one another statements for the price of one. And each of these one another statements, it it explains a bit more how we're to accept each other when we have different opinions. So in verse 13, Paul says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. So accepting one another means we don't judge each other or treat each other with contempt. And then the next one in verse 19, Paul says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Hidden in here is actually another one another statement. Instead of wasting our breath arguing about disputable opinions, we're better off building one another up. So accepting one another means doing what leads to peace and mutual edification. The alternative is to destroy each other. And so Paul says in verse 20, Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Do you see that? The onus is on the strong. Those with strong faith to lovingly bear with the weak. In 15 verse 1, Paul writes, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. And we might want to throw off embarrassing Christians who have a tender conscience. 
But that's wrong. Evil. And it's not an option. Instead, we're called to put other people's interests above our own, just like Jesus did. And this is the last one another that's hidden in 15 verse 5 as well. Paul writes, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other, one another, that Jesus had. Accepting one another means having the same attitude of mind towards each other as Christ. What is it that makes John West the best? What is it? Yeah, the tuna he rejects, right? Now, I don't know if they still play those ads like they used to all through my childhood. It's the tuna that he rejects that makes John West the best. It's the opposite for us. What makes the people of God so beautiful, so great? It's not who we reject, but it's who we accept. Why? Well, it's because our acceptance of each other is a visible sign of something that right now is invisible. It won't be forever, but it is right now. Jesus makes acceptable the unacceptable, us. He makes us acceptable to God. And we have the privilege of visibly, powerfully, beautifully living that out right now. We bring praise to God when we accept each other, not because of what's within each other, but because of Jesus, but because of what he has done at the cross. That's why I love diversity here. Not diversity just for the sake of it, but diversity that shows the power of the unity that we have in Jesus. I would love us to have far, far more diversity here. So how are we going at accepting one another here despite our different opinions that we might have? You know, since the day that I I first came to this church nearly four years ago, I've thanked God for the way that people here refuse to let non-central things become central things. In fact, at times I've I've been amazed at the way people haven't let their differences become more important than the gospel. But we should never presume that this way of living will come easily to us. Paul says in Ephesians 4 verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. See that? It takes effort. It's the Holy Spirit who creates the unity, but it's the Holy Spirit who moves us to keep that unity. Accepting one another, it means not allowing those non-central things to divide us. Like some Christians, they might consider certain types of dancing to be wrong or alcohol to be wrong or movies or burning incense or yoga. They might consider those things to be things that just aren't good for Christians to participate in. Now, none of these things are unclean in and of themselves. They could be used in a way that dishonors God, but they might also be used in a way that just delights in God's world. Dancing can be about artistic expression. Alcohol can be about hanging out with friends. Movies can be a a way of reflecting on life. Yoga can be a way of increasing core strength, I guess. But the reality is that for some Christians, they're never going to be able to accept those things for themselves. And they shouldn't be pushed to accept them. It's wrong for us to push them to accept them. And they shouldn't be despised or looked down on for not accepting them. 
And on the flip side, if you see a Christian doing something that you find hard to accept, don't judge them. Ask them about it, genuinely, openly ask them about it. We've got real differences of opinion amongst us as a church. If we wanted to dishonor Jesus, we could, we could fight over all sorts of things. Like we could allow our different views on baptism to divide us. I know that when we do infant baptisms here, it's really difficult for some of you. You feel like it, it's best and clearest to just wait till people are able to make their own profession of faith. And I get that. And yet I'm so thankful to God for the way that you don't judge me or those who do do infant baptism. I love the way how at this church we keep Jesus at the center. And like we could divide over our different views of creation. Some of you hold to a six-day literal creation with the earth being a few thousand years old. Some hold to intelligent design with a very old earth. And some might have different views altogether. Some of us are just unsure. They aren't unimportant differences. All views aren't right. Only one can be right. But it's not worth letting people become unacceptable to us because they hold a different opinion to us. We keep Jesus at the center here and it's a beautiful thing. We could allow our different views on women in ministry to divide us. We could allow our different views on the gifts of of the Holy Spirit to divide us. But if we allow any of these kinds of things to divide us, what we're really doing is saying that we require something more than Jesus to make someone acceptable to us. It's not worth us acting like our opinion on these things or our opinion on anything is more important than Jesus' lordship. Our judgment on what people think doesn't matter one bit in the end. We all answer to God. Now, it doesn't mean we don't talk about our differences. We don't, we don't have to be kind of politically correct Christians. But when we do talk about them, we do so in love and acceptance, seeking peace and seeking to build God's people up. In my experience, there are a lot of discussions about baptism or creation or women in ministry or the gifts of the Spirit. They don't seem to have much to do with peace and building each other up. Let's make sure that that's not us as a church. You know that expression, you don't get to choose family. Well, it's true of us too. We didn't choose each other, but God did choose us. And it brings him glory when we accept one another solely because Jesus has accepted each one of us. Let's pray that God would help us in this. Father God, you are indeed holy, separate and distinct from us. Lord, your holiness is so far beyond our comprehension. And yet, Lord, we thank you that at the same time you are loving and merciful and that in Christ Jesus at the cross, you planned a way that we could be acceptable to you under him, with him as our head, our representative, his obedience, his righteousness, his holiness in the place of ours. Lord, we are so thankful that you have made us acceptable. And we ask, Lord, that we would look on each other as those who are acceptable to you because of Christ. Lord, thank you so much for the way that we do accept each other. The way here at this church we've not allowed 
things that aren't central to become central. Lord, guard us by your Holy Spirit prompting us so that we would continue to maintain the unity that you have created. Lord, help us to seek peace and building each other up. Help us not to judge and treat each other with contempt. Lord, instead, help us to follow in Christ's footsteps, to have the same mindset as him, so that we would accept one another and bring praise and glory to your name. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.